Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Well, can't say it was a quiet week. It was a horrendous week, a horrific week, and I really can't blame Donald Trump. Uh, can't blame anything but nature, the worst thing of the week, the worst happening. And one of the worst happenings, it may turn out to be for the entire year, the Hurricane Dorian. A Category 5, 185 miles per hour. Took a long time to get wherever it was going when it left Africa. It just kept coming. It was moving very slow, and they kept telling us very slow. Uh, and they kept saying, well, it's going to be a 5. And it got bigger and bigger, and it finally became a 5. And weren't sure where it was going to go, uh, whether it was going to go to Florida, it was going to go east, west, north, south. This is very fickle. Air is fickle. The hurricanes went fickle. And we weren't sure it was going to be deviating this way, that way, in every way. And finally, it went over the Bahamas and destroyed the Bahamas, a Category 5 on the Bahamas. I'm looking at those pictures on the Internet. I went through Homestead. In 1992, three weeks after Andrew hit, which was also a five, 185 miles an hour. And the destruction, you would not believe, it brought tears to my eyes. There wasn't a building left standing. Uh, this is just horrendous, this type of thing. Uh, anyhow, so Dor- Dorian, she, he came. He fortunately did not hit the United States. They said towards the end, it's, it could turn right, and if it turns right, it'll go up to the Atlantic, and may just rake or skim the uh, coast, the Atlantic coast of the United States, which is apparently what it's going to do starting this evening. Uh, now, ain't going to hit us. Down here in Key West, I mean, we're sitting here. We've had nothing but sunshine. A uh, little rain this morning, heavy rain. I don't even think it was related to Dorian. Uh, it probably is bringing rains in. I saw on the internet on TV tonight, Jensen Beach, which is between Palm Beach and Daytona. Uh, the water, my God! The the, the problem was water. The, the hurricane uh, is about uh, 50 miles or 100 miles off of the American shore, but the water was coming in big waves. Heavy rain, blowing sand, and that's what we're going to get in the United States, sir, and it's going to do some damage. Water damage can be as bad as wind damage. Let me tell you something. I, I've been here almost 30 years. I have seen the hurricanes. I've stayed for most, left for some. I saw Wilma. Wilma went by. Not much damage. Six, two, six and a half hours later, uh, after Wilma had gone through, uh, water. Water, the surge came in. Six and a half, I'm sorry, half an hour after Wilma went through, the surge came in six and a half feet high. My daughter, my poor daughter Lisa, they had just remodeled their house, put a quarter of a million dollars in it, bought all new furniture, moved in three months earlier before her, um, Wilma came. Six and a half feet of water in a matter of minutes while they're sitting there saying to each other, she and her husband, well, we beat it, nothing bad happened. And all my friends, too, the water came through the houses and were, in effect, destroyed, big-time damage. Anyhow, 
we we lucked out here in the United States, and hopefully we'll stay this way. It may hit the United States, the shore landfall at North Carolina and do some damage uh, by wind. They're saying it's going to definitely hit Nova Scotia, which seems a long way off, but uh, Africa was a long way off when this thing started more than a week ago. So just be patient. It is coming. It's terrible. Why God does these things, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I know. These are horrendous. These And we're getting more and more of this. It's climate change. I'm sure this is a contributing factor. But I, I can't help it. I'm not very religious, but think that maybe we're getting punished a little bit for some things we did. I'm not quite sure what we did, though, but it seems like uh, a punishment from up on high. So Dorian is with us. We lucked out here in South Florida. We lucked out in Key West. The Bahamas got nailed and parts of the United States will be nailed with water damage. Uh, let me say this to you also. These hurricanes bother me now. Really never bothered me till Irma two years ago. Irma scared the hell out of me, I've got to be honest. Irma was coming in at us day after day. It was a straight line from Africa heading right for Key West, and they said it's going to be a Category 5. I said, I can't do this. I mean, if it's a five and that line hasn't deviated, whereas Dorian's been all over the place, came in straight at us, uh, Irma. So five days before the hurricane even hit, I got in my car and I said, I'm getting the hell out of here. And what was amazing, it was like I was just leaving the day before. That traffic was horrendous. You're caught in by gas. This is five days before the hurricane even hit the, the keys. Uh and it was a nerve-wracking experience. I stayed away 12 days, ended up in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm not going to go through the whole story. It was the trip back that really bothered me when I hit the Keys, the Northern Keys, and then started coming into the Mid-Keys uh, and saw the damage. And the only way I can explain to you or share with you the damage and the impact it left on me, cars were in the ocean or in the canals, Boats were on the highways, and the, the, probably the thing that made or affected me the most and made the greatest impression on me, uh, I'm driving down through one of the keys on US-1, and I mean, it's just everything's leveled in this area, basically, and there's this big tree on the right still standing, and about 20 feet up, laying sideways on two big branches is a huge refrigerator. Now, how the hell did that thing get up there? The air, this is a big refrigerator. The air had to pick it up. Irma had to pick it up and blow it up there. That's wild stuff, my friends. Uh, I wrote a book on this, as many of you know. turned out to sell, uh, too, which surprised me, because my first book I wrote about something else didn't sell. But I wrote Irma and Me. I believe it was the only book written on the hurricane. And I think I wrote it. The more I think about it and the farther I get away from Irma, the reason I believe I wrote it, was because I had this feeling of dread and this heavy feeling afterwards, and it was a catharsis for me. I, I had to, I was trying to get rid of my feelings of badness, of ill will, by writing about the disaster. I don't know. But if you want to know what it's like, and I didn't experience the hurricane itself. It's the getting away and the coming back and seeing all this stuff and all the problems you have when you get back. You don't have electricity, you don't have water and everything else. Absolute disaster. Read my book, Irma and Me. I'm not selling it. I'm just because of a book 
expresses one person's feelings on what it is like. Okay, moving on here. I want to talk about our good friend Donald Trump. Uh, last week, said these sick kids that come over here. See, we have a program in this country where if uh, uh, a foreign child is very ill and can't get the kind of medical treatment they need in their country, they can come here with their parents and stay here uh, until the kid's apparently cured, and that means a long time, sometimes it's forever. He says, no more, they're immigrants, they got to (laughs) go. And with no notice to anyone, the public included, a 33-day letter, a notice letter comes out, to the parents and the child saying you have 33 days to get out of the country or you're going to be in trouble, we're going to come after you. Uh, Not very nice because these kids are very sick. And and to appreciate the quality of the illness involved, they had on TV, they had this kid on again tonight. Uh, She's about eight or nine years old. She has a, a heart problem of some kind. I don't quite understand why. But she is in an American hospital for children, a specialty hospital. Uh, Her parents don't have to pay. When they come here for this, they don't pay, by the way. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I'll share another story with you very very quickly after this so you can appreciate it. Uh, But 12 hours every day, this girl has a tube in her heart. And for 12 hours, 12 consecutive hours every day, her medicine and her food go through that tube into her heart. Without that, she dies. She can't get that in her home country. And they're going to throw her out and the parents out. What's wrong with us? This is cruelty. This is evil. This is inhumanity. This is Donald Trump. So this is what he wants to do. Now I hear tonight, uh, just before I started this show, Uh, that the president has decided that they're going to review the situation. That don't mean diddly dip to me. That doesn't mean he's going to change his mind. He's going to look at it. Give these people a break. Tell them I made a mistake. I'm not going to do it. We're going to keep that law in effect or whatever the practice has been of what we've done for years. Uh, Let me tell you how this works, too. My grandson, Robert, most of you know this because I write about this on occasion. I talk about it. He's 15 years old now. Uh, Robert was born with cancer of the liver. You're not born with cancer of the liver. Cancer is an after-acquired disease. It happens after you're born, not before you're born. Very, 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 very few people, less than something, 1%, are born with cancer uh, of a portion of their body. I was there when he was delivered. My daughter Lisa said, Daddy, I want you with me. I was there in the room. I was holding one leg, and we're yelling, push, and all this sort of thing. And I knew right away when he came out something was wrong. And I had never seen a baby born before. He was gray, almost black. He wasn't crying. This kid was making no noise. His eyes were shut. He was gray. And I expected this whoop. And, you know, within a matter of, like, 15, 20 minutes, they said something's wrong. Uh, something didn't show up right on an x-ray, and within minutes they had him on a helicopter to Miami Children's Hospital. And within two hour, and within four hours he had surgery for the first time. Within his first eight days of life he had uh, two major surgeries to remove the cancer from his liver. The cancer tumor was like three times the size of his liver. 
And that's like his whole stomach. And then they didn't think they had enough. They had to go back in again. Interesting. Uh, and this is, what, this is going to take some time, and this may be most of the show tonight, but this tells you what we're doing to these kids, how we're going to adversely affect them if Trump throws them out of this country. Uh, Miami Children's Hospital, I've never seen anything like it. I've got to tell you something. The corridors are miles wide. Uh, I don't know how many floors, how many buildings. I was totally impressed with the whole operation. And now my grandson's on the cancer floor. And every corridor, every corridor is a special type of cancer. They got to sign up. And these are big corridors. These are lengthy corridors. So uh, they can have a lot of patients in there. And Robert was a baby. So he's in a crib in a room. The room had to have at least, was huge. I mean, this was huge, huge, this room. 20, 30 cribs with kids in them, all suffering from something or other. It had to be a cancer of some kind. And I'm noticing, I think Robert is the only American. They all look like they're from another country, not just from their appearance or their color, but the way they talked and the way they were dressed and how they handled themselves. And all these kids had some special type injury. Uh, if they didn't have the money, Miami Children's took care of them for nothing. I think the only one who paid in that huge room uh, were my daughter and her husband for Robert because they had insurance. The only thing they didn't have coverage for was the $10,000 to pay for the helicopter to fly him to Miami the first day. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, Miami children took care of these people. The 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 you know the restrooms you go into not the not the bathrooms I'm talking about the the, the casual rooms where you lounge the lounges, sofas, easy chairs. At night the parents stayed there. Where are they going to go? And they slept on the couches in the easy chairs. Wife on a husband's lap. They brought blankets, pillows sheets the hospital provided them in the morning the hospital came by with these huge trucks uh coffee cakes whatever the free for these people i was so impressed uh now the quality of medical care outstanding i recall after robert's first surgery we were standing there and asking the doctor uh, how's he going to be and she looked at us and she said we don't know we never had one like this before can you imagine? We don't know. We've never had one like this before. It makes me cry now. Uh, fortunately, he survived. He survived. They saw him for 10 consecutive years, first every month, then every three months, every six months, and then every year until they said, we don't have to see him anymore. He's in, he should be all right now. Should be, we hope. Uh, he's 15 years old today, straight-A student, second year of high school, uh, top player on the tennis team, number one on the tennis team. Uh, good athlete, good kid, wonderful personality. Uh, God love him and may he stay healthy. Uh, and that's the story. And Robert got the care and he survived. And all, most of these other little kids had to get the care and survive too. And it was just such a strange experience. One more thing I want to share with you about it. My daughter sat in a rocking chair next to that crib and did not move for every minute that Robert was there, except when she had to, um, what do you call it, uh, move, 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 move. Um, no, 
they, they, all these women were breastfeeding the mothers there. So they had a pump milk, is that the correct terminology? And they had a room for these ladies. And they would take breaks periodically, go into the room, and they would chat with each other and, and pump their breasts so they'd have the milk supplies for the child. Um, we can't take these kids away from this. I don't care where they're from, whether they're from Istanbul, Denmark, Iceland, uh, Saudi Arabia, where they come from. If we can do it, they deserve it. That's the story there. And Trump wanting to punish the parents, wanting to teach immigrant parents that you can't leave your country and do these things and come attack and invade my country and bring your diseases with you and your crime and everything else. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to take your baby away from the doctors, away from medical care. You take him back home and let him die. He should go to hell. He should burn in hell. Moving on now. I want to stay with Donald for a minute. They have a mump epidemic. <laughs> a mump epidemic. A mumps epidemic in the detention places that are holding these migrant children today. Would you believe it? A mump I'm laughing. I shouldn't be laughing. Mump epidemic. In 57 separate detention places along the southern border, in 19 different states in that quarter of the country down there, so far 931 cases of mumps. Some affected are the actual people who are watching them, ice and so forth. But actually most of them are children. And why not? I mean, it's very easy. These kids, they, they don't take baths. They can't brush their teeth. They're not getting fed properly. Uh, they are within three to six feet of each other all the time, whether they're laying down or standing up. You know how kids are. They cough, they sneeze on each other. It doesn't bother them. Mumps is easily conveyed from one child to another. And all I can say is this. I, I have a cousin who came down with the mumps many, many years ago when he was three. He became deaf as a result. May some of these ice people become deaf. This sounds cruel. This is harsh to say. Uh, but People need to be punished for the wrong they are doing. And that's what's happening with the kids and they're getting the mumps. Now, where am I here? Oh, we're going to go to food now. What's happening with this because of the China war, the China tariff war? Uh, Donald Trump, brilliant again, absolutely brilliant man. I know tariff wars. I understand tariff wars. I win tariff wars. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. We are now in a major crisis, a major tariff war with China. Both countries are getting hurt. And the economy of this world is going to end up in a recession if the tariff war doesn't end. And don't look like it's going to end anytime soon. So what's happening now? Just to give you an example. Lobsters. Big business here in Key West, by the way. We have spiny lobsters, not main lobsters. And we, we, we transport these to China. China, the Chinese people love lobsters. Whether they're Maine or spiny, they buy millions of pounds of our lobsters every year from the waters around Key West. Would you believe it? We fly them out every day. Well, that market's sort of gone. Maine lobsters are sort of gone. In fact, it has been described this past week that the United States lobster exports to China have, quote, Fallen off a cliff. Fallen off a cliff. And it's all because of these retaliatory tariffs, okay? Retaliatory tariffs. 
Where's China? They, they want to keep eating their lobsters. Where are they getting them from? Canada now. And I'm going to tell you this. Once they establish a good working relationship with Canada, when these tariff wars are over, they're not going to come back to the United States for their lobsters, whether the spiny ones from down south or the Maine lobsters. They will have started doing business with someone else, and they will be happy, and they're not going to want to change. Canada is shipping cargo planes full of lobsters every day to China. They should be going out of the United States. Uh, in fact, between last year and, and, and now, it's the only way to describe it, not the first of the year, but going back, what are we, into September, uh, into, from August 1 to August 1 last year, all right, the, the percentage of drop in lobster exports is 80%. Did you hear what I just said? The drop in lobster exports to China, so I am correct, is 80% than what it was uh, one year ago. Now, it's very simple. It was 12 million pounds last year, and this year it's 2.2 million pounds. Speaks for itself. Thank you, Donald Trump. Now let's talk about farmers and their frustration, and this is a thank you, Donald Trump, also. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Soybeans, corn, wheat. I know dairy farmers from the Midwest. How many of them? They had homes down here in Key West. They visited frequently. They became my friends over the years. I'm seeing less and less of them. In fact, I haven't seen anyone in three or four months. And they all told me the same story. When this started, well, we've got a patriotic duty. Trump says we've got the help because China's been screwing us for years. We're willing to pitch in. It's like a war effort. They weren't saying that anymore the last few times I talked to them. Uh, I, I didn't make any money last year. I had to go to the bank and borrow money. The bank gave me a hard time. And I have a successful business. All right? They have a home in Key West. They have three brothers. they got homes all over the world, plus their farm someplace. And southern Illinois was their farm. Uh, they're hurting. They're hurting big time. Bankers are wonderful people. They're best friends who they play golf with every Sunday morning. Now I said, gee, you can't make your mortgage payment. They're taking their houses and properties, their farms back, their banker friends. Things are tough. And Trump keeps telling them, well, we got to do this. Well, Trump doesn't understand. They're hurting. They're dying, the farmers. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. This thing doesn't get resolved between now and the election to the satisfaction of the farmers, and I doubt that it will, because the Chinese are really hard-ass, and they're going to stay that way. They're either going to break Trump or Trump's going to break them, and I believe they're going to break Trump, and in so doing, they're going to break our farmers, unfortunately. But I don't see them bending, and I don't see them voting for Donald Trump. I don't see the American farmers rather, voting for Donald Trump in the next election. They voted for him big time in 2016. They are normally Republican states. They're not going to go for him this time. They're getting killed in their pocketbooks. They're losing properties. Farms that have been the family, four or five generations, are gone or are going. They can't keep it up. Brian Thalman, T-H-A-L-M-A-N, is the president of the Minnesota Farm Growers Association. And he said a week ago, Monday, he could not. He could not, in good conscience, support Trump for president in 2020 
as he did in 2016, as he did in 2016. So that's what's going on there. Thank you again, Donald Trump. War is interesting, the way things happen. Now, we worry today about nuclear devices, nuclear bombs, nuclear weapons. We want to outlaw them. We want to control the production of them because we want to prevent war. We want to prevent war. And before there were atomic bombs, nuclear weapons, there were some other weapons that we tried to ban. But I came across something this week I found hard to believe. And what it tells me is that in every time frame, in every generation or couple generations, there is some deadly weapon, deadly weapon that has to be outlawed, that has to be banned to prevent war. And this is what happened, my friends. In 1146, you heard me, 1146, the European leaders had a big conference in, let's see, we're into September. At the end of August, 1146, the European nations got together and they had this conference. And do you know what they did? They outlawed the crossbow. They outlawed the crossbow. And their whole purpose, you know what a crossbow is. (laughs) They did it with the intention of ending war for all time. Ending war for all time. Uh, we do this. Man does this. He'll outlaw this. He'll outlaw that. It never works. And the reason it doesn't work, it isn't the quality of the weapon so much. It's the type of mentality that man has. I believe, and I've spoken of this, I've written about it, I think man likes war. He enjoys going to war. He enjoys killing. Look at all the wars we have. Look at all the wars we had in the last century. Uh, Look how many wars we're involved in right now. The United States has troops in some country involved in some degree of war in 18 different nations at the present moment. What are we doing? Man loves war. Okay, where am I? George H.W. Bush, first President Bush. George H.W. Bush uh, was a hero, a war hero. He was a torpedo pilot, a Navy torpedo pilot in World War II. These guys had it tough. I mean, they flew in low to drop that torpedo in on the enemy ships. He flew 54 missions, 54 missions. He was shot down twice, okay? Once in June 1943, a destroyer rescued him, and then in September 1944, a submarine rescued him. Do you realize if he hadn't been rescued one of those two times, he never would have been president, and his son, George W. Bush, would never have been president. It's interesting, but he was a true American hero, and I contrast him with Donald Trump. Well, you've got to give Trump the benefit of the doubt. He says, he claims, he had a bone chip. It was an ankle bone chip or heel bone, heel bone chip, I think. Uh, I don't know how he's survived all these years playing golf so much, very, very frequently, many, many times a week, uh, with this bone chip. Uh, I don't know how to help. They don't heal. I mean, it's there, there. And we've never heard of him having any surgery. He bullshitted his way out of serving. Now, I've got to say this. George H.W. Bush's son, George W., who was the second Bush to be president, he sort of screwed around like Trump, too. But at least he was in the Air National Guard. 
You know, he didn't go over and fight, but he was in the Air National Guard. Trump didn't even join the National Guard. I'm going to go through this very quickly. I worry about China. I worry about the United States. I worry about the tariff war. Let me talk about December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor, and why the United States and Japan went to war. I blame Franklin Delano Roosevelt Ford, and stay with me for a moment so you can understand. The United States was upset that Japan, since 1937, was in Manchuria, China. They were causing all kinds of war in Asia, conquering all these countries. And he kept negotiating with uh, the leaders, uh, the civil leaders of Japan, said, you guys got to stop, blah, 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 The talks were going no place, so he embargoed, he embargoed Japan. What did he do? Scrap metal shipments. Uh, Japan bought 74.1% of their scrap metal from the United States. He stopped shipping it to them. He closed the Panama Canal in 1941 to the Japanese. 93% of copper wire came from the United States to Japan. He stopped shipping it to them. He froze in June 9, in July 1941 all Japanese assets in American banks. And on August 1st, 1941, he put an embargo on oil and gasoline shipments from the United States to Japan. We supply, were supplying them with 80% of their our gasoline and oil. Do you wonder why they attacked Pearl Harbor? What's going to happen now with China and the United States with this tariff war? I don't know, and I don't look forward to it, whatever it may be. And that, my dear friends, is my show for tonight. I didn't cover as much as I wanted, but I think the issues were interesting and topical tonight. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, And this is Louis Patron. We've had a good evening, I think, tonight. I'm signing off. I thank you for joining me, and good night till next week.